Well, it's good to see you all this morning, and uh, Chris, Ashley, thanks for coming and leading us in worship. It's great to be doing ministry again with you today. It's great to have you. Been friends for many, many years, so it's great to have you guys here this morning. Also, those of you who are graduating, not just high school graduates, but if you're graduating from graduate programs or master's or doctorate degrees, you've got uh, lots of things happening, and we just want to congratulate. We know, this, we know this is an important season in your life, and we just want to celebrate that with you this morning. Well, we're in this series called Move, and this is a great time to think about moving, especially in the season of graduation where, where the, this, this new season of life begins, and graduation, even uh, you know, those of us who aren't graduating, graduating are reminded that, that there's a new season and there's something fresh beginning and graduates often look forward to what's next in life and what's the next thing that's going to happen and how do I embrace that? Well, in this series that we're calling Move and you saw some of these moves that we're talking about is that the reality is in life as we sometimes get out of these graduation seasons, as we get older, we tend to get stuck. And we sometimes fall into a rut, we fall into a routine, and I don't know, anyone else with me on that? Sometimes life just, you go through the weeks, and you go through the weeks, and another year passes, and it seems like you just might not be going anywhere, or life is just what it is, and you just have to accept it. Well, I'm here to say no. We're here to say no, we don't just have to accept it. God wants us to change, to grow, to develop, and he wants to do something new in us. And so the series Move looks through eight different moves, shifts that we can make that God will begin to use to transform us. And last week, we talked about that first move going from being settled to progressing. Not just settling for what is, but progressing towards what God has. When Paul talks about, and we're looking in this book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the, the church in Philippi, and, and he says that God who began this good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion. He's working in you, and he's progressing in you, and he's going to do something great in you. So that was the first move. And what we want to look at today is this move, moving from one to one another. How do we move from one an individual to one another. This is a key move throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, that when we grasp this, it can fundamentally change the way we approach life and what we look at. Now, here's the problem. We are uh, in this tension between isolation and community, between isolation and community. And, and if you think about the American way, what is something that we always value in America? It's rugged individualism. And who embodied that better than the Marlboro Man? Right? You guys remember the Marlboro Man, right? Big billboards driving down the highways, encouraging kids to ride horses, wear cowboy hats, and smoke Marlboros, right? I mean, this guy, he was tough. He was alone. He didn't need anybody else. I mean, this was the symbol of American individualism. And, and so we have this idea, and I think we celebrate that still in our country, that I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I got here. I worked hard. I made it. And we celebrate that, and as we ought to celebrate, definitely definitely pieces from that. But I also know like, that this individualism comes from this striving for success, but especially, I think, in, in our 20s and in our 30s, I know for me, especially a season where you try to prove yourself. We're talking about graduation right now, and after you graduate and you want to get into the marketplace or you're ready to get your job, you want to show people, I deserve to be here. I've earned this. I'm working hard. I, I'm worth my keep. And we focus on getting ahead doing what we can, but once again, it begins to isolate us. It begins to move us towards us, towards us at the center in what we're doing. Now, we might be a success, 
but in the end, we might also be alone. And so there's this, this tension that we deal with. And here in, in Phoenix, I just saw this past week that I think it's about, in, in, in the last census, that about 85,000 people or so moved here in a year to the Phoenix metro area. That's about 15, 1,600 people a week. That's a lot of people moving in, right? So there's a lot of people who don't have community, who don't have connection. How many of you moved here from somewhere outside of the Phoenix metro area? I'm just curious. some point in your life, you moved here. Yeah, that's the majority. You did not grow up here. Everyone seems to be from somewhere else. And then when we come here, because we want to experience this warm, beautiful weather, this great climate, and we want to experience community, and we move to Scottsdale into a gated community. <laughs> Keep out. <laughs> Six, seven, eight foot cell block walls all around us, but we want to be in the neighborhood. We want to connect and we feel that isolation. And so we see this, this happen so much, this transient culture. You come for a while, but then you miss home because you didn't connect and there's isolation. And you're left with being one, being alone. The irony is we can also feel isolation in community. And that's sometimes the worst kind of isolation, right? I mean, isn't this just a great community? We're all in the same room together. We are just such a tight community, right? Yet you can feel very alone here. You can feel alone in a crowd. You can feel alone in your family. You can feel alone in the workplace when you're around others, and you can still feel alone. What does that look like? You can feel alone in a marriage. It happens when there's disagreement, when there's disunity, when there's animosity, when there's fighting when you just are going in different directions and you feel the future is a different path and, and you're just not on the same page. So even in the midst of a group or family or whatever, you can still feel alone. Anyone here ever experienced that? Alone in a crowd. You know where else we can feel isolation and loneliness? In our faith. Some of you, you're the only one in your workplace that is seeking to follow God that might say, I'm a believer, I'm, I, I want to know God more, and I want to stand for my faith, but you're the only one. You're the only one in your family, you're the only one at work, you're the only one at the team, on the team, the only one in your class, the only one at the shop, or one of very few, and you start even in your faith feeling pretty isolated and going, this is tough. It's incredibly hard when, when you feel like you're the only one, and, and yet you keep going because American way is we just go and we're alone, we're individual, we can do this. But what we're going to look at today is Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We need to make a move. We need to make a move from one to one another, from isolation to community. And so what we're going to look at, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to keep going in the book of Philippians, and we're going to dive into a passage that, that, that Paul begins to paint a different picture for us and what life can look like. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into Philippians. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word, and thank you for a place like this where we can be a community. And Father, we've come here today to humble ourselves before you, to connect with one another. And Father, would you just open our hearts to speak into them, to let us hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Now remember, we're looking at the book of Philippians, and this is, this is a book, it's only uh, four chapters long, takes you 15 minutes to read. I was encouraged this morning when our drummer said, hey, I read through the book of Philippians yesterday, and there's so, or this last week, there's so many good verses in there, and we're like, yeah, this is a great book. This is called sometimes the happiest book in the Bible. And really, it's Paul, who is a missionary starting new churches, writing a letter to uh, the, this, this church that he started 10 years earlier. 
And so what we actually see in the book of Philippians is a letter that's written to these individuals. And here they are in this, in this, uh, this city called Philippi, which was in these dueling cultures, these, these overlapping cultures where it could have been very easy to start feeling somewhat isolated because they were now new believers. Imagine being 10 years in faith or less, and here you are living in this Greek Hellenistic culture. Remember Greek mythology, right? Many different gods, many different schools of thought and intellect and reason was, was being explored. And, and here is this new faith trying to find its way with this one God. And this one God that they worshipped and, and Jesus whom they worshipped and would call Lord and Savior. Well, that was also a problem because Philippi was also a Roman colony. Who in Rome did not like somebody else being called Lord and Savior? Caesar was Lord and Savior. And so you can imagine the, 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 this group of believers going, this is tough. This is tough to be a follower of Christ in this kind of environment, in this kind of community. How do we go about this? And so Paul writes them. And we, as we talked about last week, he said, God's begun a good work in you. He's going to carry it on to completion. And then he, he moves on. So says, don't be stuck. Don't be standing there. God's working. God's moving. He's progressing. He's doing something in you. And now he talks about another move. So let's look at uh, Philippians 1, verse 27. We'll begin here. We're going to be looking at about three, four, five verses today. So it says this, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, what strikes you about that? You must live as citizens of heaven. What did I just tell you about the context there? They were to be citizens of Rome, or they're to be citizens of Philippi. They're, to be, they're citizens of this Greek culture, and, and Paul's reminding them, wait a second, your first allegiance, your first commitment that, that supersedes all of these other commitments that you have, these other citizenships that you have, remember above all else, you are citizens of heaven. So you may be focusing on what's around you and what the culture and the world is trying to, to shape in you, but you need to realize you're citizens of heaven above all this. And because of that, you now need to conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the good news of Christ. Now, in, in a lot of all other uh, letters from Paul, he, he addresses some problems very specifically or challenges, and he'll speak right into them. You're dealing with this issue and this issue. In Philippians, he doesn't really seem to specifically say, here is an issue you're dealing with. But if you kind of read around what he doesn't say, is he seems to be saying here, some of you aren't living in a manner worthy of Christ. Some of you are forgetting that you're citizens of heaven. So here he is reminding them, cheering them on, saying, this is so important that you remember this. What's your goal? What's your goal? And I think in this political season that we're in, this divisiveness, this tension that we're in, this is a great question for us. Where does your citizenship lie? Where does your, your loyalty lie? Where does your first allegiance lie? Some of us are hardcore Republicans. Some of us are hardcore Democrats. Some of us are disillusioned Republicans, disillusioned Democrats, independents. And yet we all sit here. What is it that brings us together? What is it that is our first allegiance? It's that we are citizens of heaven. And that, yes, we are in this country and we want the best for what's here. But let's not let that get in the way of what our first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. So Paul's talking about our conduct reflecting this. And, and so what is, it, what is he saying is when people look at you, when they look at how we interact as a church, when they look at how they, you interact um, as a family, as a couple, as you, as you live out in this world, what are people seeing? And so now he's going to get in a little bit more because this, this, this topic for us today is from one to one another. 
So then he, he moves, what, what should we reflect? So Paul's addressing, look at, look at verse 27 as it continues. He writes, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, remember Paul's in prison, so he doesn't know if he's actually going to be able to come to them. But if I just hear about you, this is what I want to hear. This is what I want to see. So I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. So hold on to that word there for a second. Standing together. One spirit, one purpose. Again, what's he maybe not saying? He's, he's maybe saying, I don't know if you guys are actually standing together. I wonder if you guys are maybe standing apart, that there's not this unity of one purpose or, or one mission or one cause. You, you, you may be, be kind of divided in this piece here. There might be opposition. Maybe you're standing alone. There's not this spirit of togetherness, the spirit of one purpose. And, and I, I picture this idea of standing alone. Again, the opposite of standing together, standing alone. Have you ever... Um, have you ever tried like taking a group picture with, with, with like lots of people? And what happens when you call the whole group over? There's always stragglers that don't like want to get in the picture, right? And then everybody kind of comes to the picture, and, and let's say we do a photo here, and then everyone just spreads out like really far. And it's like, come together. Everyone come together. Get in the frame. Get in the frame. And, and we have a hard time coming together. And Paul's painting this picture. He's saying, we need to stand together. We need to move together so that, so that there can be one purpose. We can't be pulling in opposite directions and think that we're going to reflect what Christ has for us. We're, gonna, we're not going to experience what he has if each one of us is alone and saying, I need this and I need that. Don't stand alone. Come together. Because the result of all this is there's no progress, right? If you're pulling in opposite directions, there's, there's no progress. There's nothing happening. And Paul is saying, stand together. I mean, picture this great visual, right? When you're st it's this visual of linking arms. When you think about people who are standing together, or you're ready to, you ever play Red Rover, Red Rover? You know, send, send so-and-so over. I mean, there was like, we're going we're gonna to stand together. We're going to link arms. We're going to hold tight, and nothing's going to break us through, right? And people, when, the, when Red Rover comes over, he's looking for the weakest link, right? She's looking to bust through, but there's something about standing together that makes us stronger than standing alone. And today, in, in this verse, then he says, and how do we stand together? With one spirit and one purpose. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the, it's the Sunday where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers. And that spirit that filled the believers, that filled the church, gave them this one spirit. And, and if we have multiple spirits and people saying, well, God's telling me this and God's telling me this, we have to go, okay, God is not going to be telling us opposite things. What's this one spirit that unites us, this one purpose? And so how do we stand together? Because there are way too many people all around standing alone. And when you're standing alone, you're vulnerable. When you're standing alone, it's hard. How many of you right now feel like there's something in your life where you just feel like you're standing alone? And you're just looking around going, would somebody stand with me? Oh, if somebody would link arms with me, that would change everything. So the first thing Paul says is, look, get in proximity with somebody else. Don't just try to make it alone out there. Get with somebody else. Approach the group. Get in for that group picture, right? And for us, if we see somebody that's alone, bring them in. Draw them in. The first move is to get closer and to move towards community where we're going to find one spirit and one purpose. And all of a sudden, now we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. But what is, when we stand together, though, what is that purpose? Look at, as he continues here in verse, verse 27. And moving on, he says, so he continues, right? Standing together with one spirit and one purpose. And then he says, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. 
and this is kind of odd, for you've, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now remember, he's writing to a church. He's writing to these believers and saying, you're trying to make it alone out there. You're standing alone. Now get together with the group. Forge a bond together because you need to stand together. One spirit, one purpose. But what's this piece? Not just standing together now. He says, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Fighting together. Have you ever fought with somebody against something else? Ever been in a brawl? <laughs> no? Some of you? Nobody's going to admit it this morning? How about when you... <laughs> there you go. A couple of hands going up. Yeah? That bonds you together, right? Ever been in a sports, right? Sports arena or some kind of field like that where you're fighting together? Because it's not just enough to stand. It's, it's, it's helpful when you're standing together. When you're linking arms, at least now you're not alone. But the thing that takes unity and that takes you even deeper from being alone and saying, uh, I'm not just standing together. Now I'm fighting together. We are fighting together. We're going forward. Now, now some churches take this too far. and They're like, yeah, we fight together all the time. <laughs> no, not fight each other, right? Not fight each other over the color of the carpet, the style of the music, you know, what kind of donuts are being served, how, how the coffee tastes, or, or what ministries here and there. And we can get so sidetracked when we fight each other. And see, that's one of those things that isolates us when we fight each other instead of fighting together. Who are you fighting? How are you fighting? And, and maybe it's not these, these subtle things, but we can start focusing on, on insignificant issues. We can begin to take our eyes off what's important. And Paul reminds them here, look, what you are fighting for is the good news of Jesus Christ. You're fighting together for the faith of what God has. And we, if we as a church don't fight this fight, who's going to fight it? There's something that happens when we rally together. There's something that happens when we come together and say, what do we need to do to reach this community? How do we get more Teach One, Lead One mentors to go into the schools, into the public schools and teaching some of these great values and beginning to create relationships, being the presence of God? That is fighting together. One example of the good news of Christ. You know, every, every movie that, that kind of inspires in this kind of way when there's a team, it's when we see... They move from standing alone to standing together. I picture the scene, I think it's an Avengers scene, but you could probably like put it into any other kind of movie where there's like a band of, of, of brothers or sisters together that are fighting. And, and so here, here are all these, these superheroes, right, or all these individuals. And then there's the enemy. <laughs> and then there's the ones that are coming in opposition. And what is it? It's always, you're, they're always outnumbered, right? Always outnumbered. And what do they do when they, when they begin? They stand together. And they stand together, but then... They fight together, and they say things like, I've got your back, right? Or they showed that by demonstrating, I've got your back, by actually putting their backs to each other, forming a circle, and then they're all ready, right? They're all ready, and then the attacks come, and then the attacks come, and they're fighting, and they're fighting, and they're fighting together because they can't do it alone. But then, invariably, what happens? One of them, one of them, right, or two of them, they start spreading out, and all of a sudden, they're getting surrounded, and there's one guy over here in the corner he's about to go down, and then, right, his partner or the friend the sees him, fights that guy off, runs over, and just before you think this, this, this character's going to die, they jump on top of him and they rescue, right? They're fighting for each other. And there's this sense of unity. There's this sense of strength that comes from it. But what happens when we're in isolation? Or what happens when we don't fight? We fight each other. And again, you see this in so many facets of life. It can happen in a church. It can happen in your workplace. It can happen with, your, with a boss and an employee. It can happen in a family. It happens in marriage. 
happens in all these different areas. And all of a sudden, what's happening? Now you're fighting each other. Where's all your energy going? Against the other person. Who's the evil one? It's the other, it's the other person. And all of a sudden, you're not about the things that are important. You're no longer f- uh, facing the stuff and the challenges that can really make a difference. And so you're just fighting each other. And you have to get into agreement saying, who is the enemy here? Who's really the enemy in your marriage? So many times I talk with couples that are, that are struggling or dealing with things, the spouse is the enemy. And all of a sudden, it's like, if I can beat my spouse in this area, right? If I can win this, if, I can, if we can just convince the other, then somehow on the other side, we think there's going to be a win. And that doesn't happen, right? Because you're fighting each other. You're putting all the energies in the other. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is what's threatening to take out your marriage, What is threatening to take out your marriage? Is it your lack of communication? Is it that you guys just can't talk together? Is it inattention? Is it different visions for what your life ought to be and how to spend your money? Is it how to handle the kids? Get on the same side of the issue and fight that instead of fighting each other. And that's how we move from one on one to one another. We're together. We're going to battle what this is. If this is happening in the workplace, if this is happening on your team, if this is happening with your friends and a good relationship, step back and say, what are we fighting? Why are we fighting each other? Aren't we on the same page? Let's figure out what that is and put our energies to fight alongside one another to overcome whatever is threatening to take us out. And all of a sudden, we move from isolation to togetherness, and you begin to look and see, what can we do? So Paul says, okay, first, stop standing alone. Get together. Stand together. Then he says, not just stand together, now you've got to fight together because fighting together is what's really going to move you forward. When you fight for a cause, you fight for a purpose, you fight for your marriage, you fight for unity, you fight for those things. You fight for you know, making a difference in this community and in this world. And so everyone goes, we like those parts. We're like, yeah. But then Paul goes on and he says this. Verse 30. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. See, this is where we want to give up. We like, you know, we like the standing together. We might even like fighting a little bit. But boy, what happens when the fighting gets exhausting? What happens when you're ready to throw on the towel? Now Paul says, look, you got to keep going. You can't stop there because now it's going to be a struggle. And he's saying, look, I'm still in the struggle. He's in prison because of his faith. He's he's saying, I'm not done struggling, so we're going to struggle. And the only way that we're going to make it together is if we also agree to struggle together. Not to stand together, not just fight together, but that we come alongside and we struggle together. I mean, what a powerful statement. We are in the struggle together. Have you ever been in a position like that where you just feel beaten down? You feel like you can't go and somebody says, I'm with you in this. I'm with you. And I'm not just with you in this, I'm going to be with you through this. This addiction you're dealing with, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here, we're going to go through this. This marriage, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to walk alongside until you get to the other side of that. This challenge you're facing, we're going to get through this financial crisis. I don't know if I can you know, bail you out of this thing or do whatever, but I'm here with you. And we're going to fight together. We're going to struggle together. And all of a sudden, that builds courage, that builds strength. When somebody says, this is our struggle. See, when we're individuals, it's my struggle and your struggle and your struggle and your struggle. But what the Bible calls us to, what God calls us to as a church is to say, these are our struggles. These are our shared challenges. This is our fight together. 
So I just look at these three, these three phrases that just jumped out at me from this passage here. There's standing together, fighting together, struggling together. Standing together, fighting together, struggling together. I'm kind of curious this morning, just as you reflect, how many of you feel just the opposite? I'm standing alone. I'm fighting alone right now. I'm struggling alone. Because if you are, that is killer. That's killer. That's enough to take somebody out. That's enough to beat you down. That's enough to make you feel like, I don't know if I can keep going. Do you guys ever watch some of those, you know, National uh, Geographic shows or like, you know, PBS special about the African safari and the lion coming to attack the herd? What happens? How does he get, how does he get his prey? Separates one off. Separates one off, pulls one off to the side, and then he pounces. And the rest of the herd, they don't care. See, they don't get this principle. They're like, whoop, glad it's not me. I'm out of here. But when you're together, that doesn't happen. And that's what Scripture says, that Satan comes. He tries to pull us away. He tries to isolate us. And so many times when we think of our faith in, in this culture, in this community, we say, this is my faith. This is what I believe. I hold my beliefs. You have your beliefs. We're so individual. We're so private about our faith because it's politically correct to do that. And that begins to translate into other unhealthy ways, which is like, I'm just going to deal with my own things and my own challenges. And the most community we ever experience at church is sitting together in the same room. But yet there's still isolation and loneliness. Who's sharing your struggle? Who's sharing your fight? If you just come in and sit and worship and hear a good message and then go back home but don't ever have any community, any other connection, that, my friends, is not church. That's attending church. That is not community. That is not how scripture was created. That's not how it was designed. And yes, you know what? It's going to take more time than an hour a week. If you want to move from one to one another, you got to do more than an hour a week coming to church because it's about building relationships. It's about pouring into other people. It's about hearing stories. It's about asking questions. It's about sitting together. It's about investing, whether that means in a small group or whether that means just coming and grabbing a coffee with somebody, having people over to your house. Maybe even going bowling with friends is a way to start, right? You build some relationships. But it's going to take more. And that's when the fabric of life, and that's when the fabric of this, this, this struggle alone begins to change. And so as we look at these, these different pieces, standing, fighting, struggling together, if you're standing alone right now, approach community. Take a step. I'm going to put, the, put, put some, some challenge to you to say, take a step towards relationship. Take a step. Let somebody know you're struggling alone and that you're fighting alone and, and, and make a move towards standing together with others. And here for everybody else and for all of us, nothing kills me more in church than when I see somebody standing alone in the lobby, when I see somebody standing alone in a student ministry program, when I see a kid in a children's classroom that's off by themselves. That cannot happen here. Now, if somebody wants to be alone and asks to be alone, then you say, good, have your space. Absolutely, we don't want to do that. But we are to be a community and to invite other in. Our, our radar ought to be so hot. There's somebody alone. You leave the, the friendship that you have that you know is secure and say, I'm going to go talk to that person. I'm just going to see if they're okay. I'm going to or invite them into the circle. See, it's our job to help invite people into standing together. And then fighting together. Do you feel, as part of McDowell Mountain Community Church, that you are fighting together, that we are fighting together to share the light of Christ in this world? 
to build for the future, to pour into next generations, because you know what? It's, we can't, this isn't about just hiring a staff to do ministry. It's about us together doing these things, about how you interact in your workplace and in the schools and in your families, that you understand that we are in this together, and that's when ministry and when life and church becomes exciting, because now we're in the battle together. We're doing this together, and we're saying, I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to come alongside. We're linking arms in this together. And no matter what the struggle or the challenge, we are in this together. That's what it looks like to be the church. That's what it looks like to come together. And then Paul seems to wrap up this this part right here, and he asks these questions, and I just want to ask us these questions in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Let me ask you, is there any encouragement if you belong to Christ, from belonging to Christ? Yeah, that's a hugely encouraging thing. Is there any comfort from his love? Any comfort from his love? You're allowed to kind of, just a murmur. A murmur is good. Good, lets me know you're here, right? Is there any comfort from his love? Yes. Any fellowship together in the spirit? God's spirit bringing us together? Is Is that where fellowship is? Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? No, you gotta ask that question. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? If so, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I mean, he's just making this call here to say, don't do this alone. Don't fight these battles alone. Don't go at it where you're just feeling like, I can't go any further. Be the church. Rally together. Come together for what God has. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me in prayer and just reflect. Where in your life right now do you feel like maybe you're standing alone, you're fighting alone, or you're struggling alone? I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for us as a church that we would surround you, and that God's love and God's strength and comfort would surround you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Paul reminds us here that living in isolation, doing things on our own, being disconnected from community is not a way that we grow and not a way that we experience all that you have for us. But God, that when we fight together for the good news, God, when we we come alongside and we say we're going to go through the struggle together until the end, that's what brings us together. Father, for those today that feel alone, or that are struggling, God, would you bring us together in community? Help them know that this is a place where they can be loved and where they can be supported, where they can be prayed for. And Father, unite our hearts in the mission and the cause and the purpose that you have called us to, to fight and to share this good news with this community, with this city, that the hope of Christ would be far and near. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As a sign and as a reminder of our unity together. We want to take communion to close the service.